in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which by the way is just, it's like one of those classic books. If you've never read it, I highly encourage it. Knowledge of the Holy, uh, it's by A.W. Tozer, um, writing on the attributes of God, an incredible book. Tozer says this, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because as he goes on to say, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. In other words, what we truly believe about God determines the way we live. Not what we say we believe, but what we truly believe. And this is why it's so important to have a a proper view of who God is and, and what God is like. Not based on not based on our own desires, not based on our own feelings or, or what we want God to be like, not, not based on what other people think that God is like, but rather based on what he has revealed about himself to us through his word, through his creation, and then ultimately through his son, Jesus, the Messiah. The Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Bible says that in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. The Bible says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact image imprint of his nature in Hebrews chapter one, verse three. And Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the father in John 14, verse nine. So if you wanna know who God is and you wanna know what God is like, where do you look? Yeah, you look to Jesus and you move towards Jesus. So if if the most important thing, as Tozer says, is about us is what comes into our minds when we think about God, then the most important question that we will ever answer is, who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is Jesus? And that's the question that Jesus is going to ask his disciples in our study this morning. Jesus is going to, he's going to look his disciples in the eye and he's going to say, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Bethany, who do you say that I am? That's what Jesus is going to do. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Luke chapter nine. We're continuing our study verse by verse through Luke's gospel. And we're going to be picking up our study this morning in verse 18. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Who do you say that I am? Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now, 
before we jump in and, and take a closer look at, at this dialogue between Jesus and his disciples, there's a couple things that I really, I really want to point out because I, I think that's going to help us to understand just the background of, of, uh, of, of this setting where Jesus is asking this important question. The first thing I think you should know is that between verses 17 and 18, okay, this is between the, between the story of the feeding of the 5,000, that's what we looked at last week, in the, in, up to verse 17, and, and the story that we're looking at today, beginning here in verse 18, there has been a significant amount of time that has passed. It's like centimeters, not even centimeters, millimeters in your, in your Bible, right? But weeks at least weeks, maybe even months have passed since the feeding of the 5,000 and the story that we're about to read today. And, and during this time period, both Matthew and Mark write about several events that took place, events that are recorded. And you, if you, we're not going to read them today, but if you want to write these down, you could read them this week. Matthew 14, 22 to 16:12. So Matthew 14:22 to 16:12 and Mark 6:45 to 8:26. Mark 6:45 to 8:26. And if you were to go and it, this week and I hope you will, if you were to read those sections, you would read some incredible stories that took place in this little time period between verse 17 and 18. Stories like Jesus walking on the water, Peter too. Luke doesn't write about that story, but, but they do. The feeding of the 4,000, a different one, different than the one we looked at last week. That was the feeding of the 5,000. This is the feeding of the 4,000. There's a story about Jesus casting a demon out of a Gentile woman's daughter. There's the healing of a blind man at Bethsaida. And then there's additional stories about Jesus confronting the Pharisees and the spiritual leaders of the day. And all of these stories, there's a lot of them, right? This is some great stories. And they take place in that little space between verse 17 and 18. So that's the first thing that I want you to know. The second thing is this, what Luke doesn't mention here, but Matthew and Mark tell us in their accounts of this story is that, is that this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples takes place in the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now let, me, let me just tell you a little bit about this city because it really helps, I believe, to paint the, the backdrop of this incredibly important question that Jesus is asking his disciples. Jesus takes his disciples and they travel, by foot of course, some 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee to a beautiful and a lush region that is located in the foothills of Israel's highest peak, which is Mount Hermon. You can kind of see it, it's snow-capped in that, in that picture, um, but that's Mount Hermon. It sits about 7,300 feet above sea level. And uh, so there in the foothills of Mount Hermon is this, this city called Caesarea Philippi. And as I said, this city is situated in a beautiful and just a fertile area with an abundant supply of water. Now, in the land of Israel, water is a precious commodity. It's, it's important for every civilization, right? But it, it's, it's precious. It's a precious resource there. Always has been and still is. But there in Caesarea Philippi is, is, is where the headway 
of the Jordan River is formed up near Caesarea Philippi and Dan. You have these major springs which form the headwaters of the Jordan River, which bring life. They bring water to the, to the nation of Israel. And so Jesus takes his disciples to the headways of the Jordan River where the life giving water comes from. Jesus is the living water, isn't he? And he takes his disciples up into this, this place. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. But Caesarea Philippi was also a city that had long been known for its various pagan temples and idol worship. This is not a place that a typical Jew would go to hang out up near Caesarea Philippi. During the Old Testament times, it had been a worship center for, for, for Baal worship or Baal worship. It later became a, a site uh, of, of worship for the Greek god Pan. You guys familiar with the Greek god Pan? This is the half goat, half man, god, that run, god of the wild that runs around playing the flute, right? He, he, I think some story about he turned or you know, he, he, he made a flute out of reeds because he was chasing after the one he loved and she turned herself into a reeds or something. I don't know. You get the idea, all right? But this is, this is the place. Uh, there, was a, there was a temple of worship there at Caesarea Philippi to this Greek god, Pan. And at the time of Jesus, there was a marble temple that had been built at Caesarea Philippi by Herod the Great, and it was built as a place to honor and worship Caesar Augustus. We've talked about the fact that Caesar Augustus was, was worshiped. So, so this is the place, this is the location, the region where Jesus brings his disciples. He brings them up into this area. We talked, you, Ivan talked this morning about the idea of the darkness of the world. He takes his disciples into this place of spiritual darkness he is the light of the world, and he brings him up to the source of life of the Jordan River, the place of spiritual darkness, and he announces that he is the Messiah. This is the place for the very first time where it's with, with unequivocally, Jesus is, is calling himself out as I am the Messiah. This is the place where he chose. It's a significant location. It wasn't an accident, the northernmost parts of Israel. So after a time of prayer, Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks them, who do the crowds say that I am? What's the word on the street, guys? What are people saying about me? And the disciples answered, they said, well, turns out, Jesus, that there's a lot of things that people are saying about you. People don't know who you are. Some people think that Maybe you're John the Baptist. They think that maybe you're, you're John coming back from the dead, right? We saw a couple weeks ago that, that that's exactly what Herod Antipas was, was worried about, right? Why is Herod worried about that? Because he killed him. He killed John the Baptist. The thought that John the Baptist has returned from the dead is terrifying to Herod. It would be to me too. But the disciples continued and they said, but, but others say that you're Elijah. Others that maybe one of the prophets of old has, has risen. In the book of Malachi, this is the Old Testament. This is the last book of the Old Testament. In the second to last verse of the last book of the Old Testament, God says this, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. 
This is a, a day that the Jews were looking for. We can't wait for the great awesome day of the Lord to come, and we know that Elijah is gonna come first. And so it wasn't unusual or even strange for people to be wondering, hey, maybe this guy Jesus that we've seen, this guy Jesus that we've heard so much about, maybe he is the one that Malachi wrote about. I mean, he's certainly performing miracles like Elijah, right? We did our Elijah series uh, about a year ago, and we looked at some of those those miracles. By the way, if, you, uh, if you've been to our Passover Seder services here, you know that at, at the table, at every Passover Seder service, there is a chair that's left empty for Elijah, right? And, and, and I think it's part of, the, part of the, the Passover Seder service. The children will run to the door. They'll open the door to see if Elijah's there to come in and join them because they believe, as they should, because God's word says so, that he is going to send Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So they're looking for him. Who do the crowds say that I am? That's the question that Jesus is asking his disciples. And you know what's interesting about, about that question? If you were to ask people the same question today, e- even in a room like this, perhaps, but certainly if you went out into the culture, and you said, who do you say that Jesus is? You might get similar answers to these, right? Some, right? Some would say he didn't even exist. Those people just deny history, right? There is no doubt that Jesus existed historically as as a historical figure. There's no doubt. But some would say, well, I think Jesus was a good man. You ever heard that? Yeah, Jesus, he, he was a good man. Others say, well, he, he was more than that. He was a great moral teacher. He was a great moral teacher. Some would say, no, no, he's even more than just a good teacher. They would say, I, I, I think he was a prophet. I think he was sent from God. Actually, Muslims believe that Jesus is a prophet. Did you know that? But see, Jesus claimed to be so much more than that, didn't he? Jesus claimed not just to be sent from God, Jesus claimed that he is God. In fact, it was his claim to deity that caused the religious leaders to demand his death. See, the Bible teaches us that that Jesus is God, that he is the second member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God, and he is God the Son. Probably many of you have read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. You read that? Great book. Again, wow, we're going to have a book collection after today. We've got Tozer. Now we've got Lewis. Um, man, uh, Mere Christianity, Lewis, I, I, uh, I'm going to be wrong. I think it's chapter three-ish maybe in that book, but I could be wrong. He lays out an argument. I don't think he came up with it, but he's the one that made it famous. And the argument is that Jesus was either a Lord, as he says he was, or he was a liar, or he was a lunatic. I think he says on, on par with like the guy who thinks he's a poached egg, right? That's what Lewis says. It's a great argument. Jesus is either the Lord that he says he was, or he's a, a liar or lunatic. Don't say he's a good teacher if he's a liar. Good teachers don't lie. And you can't say that you know he, he's a good 
teacher and a good, if he's, if he's, a, if he's you know, bat crazy, right? He's the Lord. That's who he said he was. That's who he is. But this, this all brings up a really important point. If you really want to know who Jesus is, if you really want to know who Jesus is, you don't go to the crowds for the answer. Don't go to the crowds for the answer. When you ask the crowds to tell you who Jesus is, you're going to get all kinds of different, and I believe many times, self-serving thoughts and opinions. Nobody wants to be accountable to a God who tells them that they have to submit to his authority, right? If you really want to know who Jesus is, go to the source. Go to the source. Maybe, maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you're here today and you, really, you have questions. I'm going to give you this idea. First, first, pray. I know you're like, well, I don't even believe in God. Okay, well, just pray, all right? Just try it. Prayer is talking to God. Tell him, I'm not even sure if you exist, but Jesus, if you exist, would you reveal to me who you truly are? Look, if you're sincere about that, I have every confidence that God is going to reveal to you who you are. Now, whether you accept what he reveals or not, that's going to be up to you. But I believe that God, God rewards those who diligently seek him. That's what the scriptures say. So, so first, pray. Ask him to reveal who he is. Then study his word. Read the Bible. Read the Bible and see what he has said about himself. Read the, the gospel of John. That's a good place to start. Read the Gospel of John. Read, read, read from those who were eyewitnesses to Jesus, those who, who walked with Jesus, those who, who saw him perform miracles, those who heard him teach, those who were there. They saw him die. They saw him buried. They saw him resurrected. And they saw him when he ascended to heaven. They were so convinced of who Jesus is that they themselves were willing to die brutal deaths in defense of what they had seen with their own eyes. If they didn't see it, why would they be willing to die for something that they knew was a lie? They wouldn't, right? Study and see who he is. Listen, this question is too important to leave to the opinions of others, including mine. Don't take my word for it. Don't take, my, don't take the word of those around you. Go to God himself and say, who is this Jesus? Go to him. Because at the end of the day, your relationship with God, both now and for all eternity, is not based on how others answer that question. Your relationship with God is based on how you answer that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? And that's exactly what Jesus is going to ask his disciples at this point. So after listening to all of their, their answers about, about what the crowds are saying, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, okay, what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? And, and as I said, this is, this is the most important question that, that they have been asked up to this point by Jesus. It's the most important question they will ever be asked, and it's the most important question that you and I will be asked as well. Many commentators and Bible teachers refer to this, to this question from Jesus as the final exam. Uh, Jesus is giving his disciples their, their final, how'd you like that? Uh, it's your final exam, it's one question, pass or fail. 
this is it. This is it. One question, boys. Who do you say that I am? Now, by this point, the disciples, they, they have been, they've been with Jesus for quite some time. At this point in the story, it's hard to believe we're only in chapter nine, right? And there's 24 chapters in this book. But at this point, Jesus is getting ready to now turn his face and begin his march towards Jerusalem where he's gonna die, okay? That's the rest of the book almost. We're gonna get there in just a, in, here in chapter nine later. But it's been probably at this point in the neighborhood of like two and a half years or so that the disciples have been traveling with Jesus and, and ministering with Jesus. We cover it in just a few short chapters, right? But this is a, a time span with all these events taking place. And so they, they've, they've seen Jesus perform miracles. They've heard him teach. And, and they themselves just recently were empowered by Jesus to go out and, and preach and teach and to perform miracles of healing and casting out demons themselves. Do you think that they just think, oh, he's probably just a good teacher? Yeah, maybe he's a prophet. No, 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 these, these guys are at the point now that make no mistake, they know who Jesus is. He, he's more than a teacher. He's more than a, a miracle worker. He's, he's more than a prophet. He is greater than John the Baptist. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than Moses. Jesus, they know this, is greater than any person who had ever come before him and any person who would ever come after him. At this point, the disciples, they, they know exactly who Jesus is. So Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ of God. Now, the word Christ comes from, from the Greek translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah. In, in Hebrew, it's Mashiach. This is why, by the way, if you, ever, if you ever listen to Messianic Jews talking, they refer to Jesus as Yeshua, that would be his Hebrew, Hebrew pronunciation, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. In both of these words, Christ and Messiah, what they literally mean is anointed one. And you read the Old Testament, you read stories about, about Samuel going and anointing King David. You remember that story? Great story. What did he do? He put oil on his hand and he put it on the king's head. And he was, because you are the anointed one. You are the one chosen by God to be the king. So in other words, what Peter is saying here is that Jesus, you, Jesus, you you're more than all those things that we just talked about, more than John the Baptist, more than Moses, more than Elijah. You are the long-awaited king and the ruler of our people. This is significant. When, Jesus, when Peter says, you are the Christ, wow, this is a boom, truth bomb being dropped right there in Caesarea Philippi. You are the long-awaited king and ruler of our people. You're the one, you're the one who's gonna come and you're gonna overthrow our enemies. Yes! Who's the enemy at that time? Rome. Oh man, the Romans, the, the, the Jews, they did not like the Romans, right? They're like, yes, yes, you're here. Not only that, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna rule and reign from Jerusalem. We've read the Old Testament. We know what this means. This is so exciting. And by the way, Jesus had handpicked these guys. His, his, 
his 12 disciples. What does that mean for them? You're going to rule and reign in Israel, in Jerusalem, and we're going to be in your cabinet. This is awesome. What, I mean, like, we gave up fishing, and that was tough because we really liked getting up early or going out late. We, we loved all that and, and backbreaking work, but we're now going to be working for the Messiah in Jerusalem. This is awesome, right? Can you imagine what they were thinking? Well, it turns out Peter's right. He is right. He passed the test. The question is, who, who am I? Jesus says, you are the Christ. In Matthew's gospel, we're told that Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah means just son of Jonah. Simon Peter, you are right. Blessed are you. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Jesus says, you are absolutely right, Peter. You passed the test. Peter knows who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah. But, as Peter and the rest of the disciples are about to discover, they do not yet understand all of what that means. They don't understand not only what it means for Jesus, but they definitely don't understand what it's going to mean for them as his followers. So first, let's just take a look at what it means for Jesus. Verse 21. Verse 21. And he, this is Jesus, strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man, by the way, Son of Man was a title for the Messiah, uh, Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Can you imagine, can you imagine the disappointment when they heard this. Peter says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the king who was prophesied to come. And Jesus says, you're right. You're absolutely right. Now don't tell anyone. <laughs> what? Don't tell anyone. Well, not yet anyway, right? There's a time coming where Jesus is gonna commission them to go out and to tell everyone, right? But, but, but not yet. You see, what Jesus understood, and he's now gonna begin to explain to his disciples is that before he comes to rule and to reign as their king, he must first suffer and die on a cross for their sins. Brothers and sisters, the disciples did not see that coming. They didn't see that coming. This caught them totally by surprise. The disciples, they, they, they were ready to put a crown on Jesus' head right there, right? And Jesus knows that if they were to like go out and now just start telling everyone else that, that he's the Messiah, if they did that, he knows that the crowds are going to try to make him king by force right now, right? In fact, they had already tried to do so. In John's gospel, uh, right after the feeding of the 5,000 that we looked at last week, right after that, we read that Jesus had to withdraw and get away because the crowds, John 6, 15, because the crowds were about to come and take him by force to make him the king. 
Jesus says, no. No, I cannot bypass the cross. I cannot bypass the cross. I must, that word must, I must suffer. That's what he said. Jesus understood that in his first coming, he was not coming as a conquering king. That's the second coming, a time that is probably sooner than, than we may realize or that many people realize. But, but in his first coming, Jesus came as the suffering servant, the one that's described in Isaiah chapter 53. By the way, more reading assignments for tonight. Read Isaiah 53. If you've never read Isaiah 53, read that, that, that prophecy from Isaiah in light of what you know about, about what Jesus went through. We haven't got to it yet, Luke, but if you've read the story, read now Isaiah 53. So Jesus says that, that he must suffer. He says, don't tell anyone because the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes. By the way, that, that description, the, the elders, chief priests, priests and scribes, that is a description of the Jewish Sanhedrin. This is the ruling council in Jerusalem who are gonna hand Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. Jesus is predicting what's gonna take place in Jerusalem. And he says that, that, that he's going to be killed and on the third day be raised. I think they, they forgot that part. I think they were stunned. They were so stunned right now, they didn't even hear the last part of all that sentence, right? But I want you to think about this for a second. You need to put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a second. You're, it's 2023. It's been 2,000 years. You're so familiar with the story. You're so familiar with what comes next in these next chapters and what Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Gospels and all the, all the writings, of the rest of the writings. You're so familiar with all of that that it's hard sometimes to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes in that moment. But just pretend for a moment that you don't already know about his death, about his burial, about his resurrection, Pretend that you don't know about Pentecost yet and the Holy Spirit coming upon these apostles. And, and, and right now, you're with them up at Caesarea Philippi and Jesus says, who, who am I? And you say, you are the Messiah. And he says, yes, yes, you are right. Now, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody that I'm the king because I need to be rejected. I need to, I need to suffer and I need to be killed. You know, you know in that moment that the disciples were like, that ain't happening. Nope, nope, nope. I've read the Old Testament, Jesus, and you've got it wrong. That is not what's gonna happen, right? They're like, no, no way. Can you imagine how difficult this news must have been for the disciples? This was definitely not what they were expecting to hear. Th these guys were, were ready to rule and to reign with Jesus. They, they, were, they were ready to help him set up his kingdom. They were ready to move into the palace with Jesus. They were probably, you ever bought a house and brought your kids to go buy the house and they're running through and they're picking their rooms? We're gonna see that later in this chapter, okay? It's that kind of thing that Jesus is like, I'm the best. No, I'm the best, right? And G I'm Jesus's favorite, right? The, these guys, they were like little kids in some ways, right? It's awesome. So are we, right? But they're, they're excited. They're, we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, that's not how it's going to go. 
Yes, yes, I, I am the Messiah. And because I'm the Messiah, I am going to suffer. I'm going to die. And I'm going to be raised. Don't miss that. They didn't, they didn't catch it. Verse 23, Jesus continues, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus says, not, not only, guys, not only do you need to rethink what being the Messiah means for me, you need to rethink what it looks like to be my followers. Let me tell you what it looks like to be one of my disciples, Jesus says. If you're gonna follow me, you need to understand that you're gonna have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. This, this is what it looks like to, to be my disciple. We should always, I, when we present the gospel, when you know, go to a, a, an evangelistic crusade, that's what they should say. You want to follow Jesus? You need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross daily, and you need to follow me. Sadly, that's not how it's always presented, is it? But that's the reality, and, and, and it's not my words. That's Jesus' words, right? This is how Jesus presents the gospel. Let's go out and, and knock on doors and present the good news. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This is the invitation that Jesus gives to be a disciple. First, he says, let, let him deny himself. What Jesus is saying is that to be a follower of Christ means that we're no longer living for ourselves. You're no longer living for you. We're living for him. It means that all of our plans and our desires are placed in submission to his plans and his desires for our life. Some people think when you say, oh, when he says deny yourself, it means you can't have anything. That's what he's saying. You, yep, you can't have anything nice if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. It's, it's recognizing that, that everything I have belongs to him and it's for his glory. I'm not living for myself, I'm living for him. That's what he says. We have to deny ourselves. R.C. Sproul, he said this, when it comes right down to it, you either deny Christ and follow yourself or you deny yourself and follow Christ. It's pretty simple, right? Which one are you? Which one are you? Because you can't be both. You're either going to deny Christ and follow yourself or you're going to deny yourself and follow Christ. It's a, it's a question of who is the Lord of your life? Who is the Lord of your life? Is it you or is it Jesus? Jesus says to those who would come after me, let him deny himself. Then he says, and let him take up his cross daily. Now, again, we read this with a lot of history behind us, right? But when his disciples heard that, you can be sure, you can be sure that they immediately had a picture in their minds, something that they had seen with their own eyes. You see, when the Romans crucified a man, they would force him to take up the wooden crossbeam, right, and to carry it in front of all of the people, a very humiliating uh, experience. Uh, it was meant to be a, an act of shame and the beginning of what would be the, a torturous end. Where are they heading? 
They're heading to die, right? When you pick up the beam, it's the beginning of the end for you, right? And Jesus says that my followers, my followers, listen, not forced by a soldier, not, not by force, they willingly pick up their cross daily and embrace whatever suffering might come from their decision to follow me. You know, we, even today, we have, it's my cross to bear. It's my cross to bear. We don't have a garage. My car has to be parked outside, but that's the cross I have to bear, you know? You know, I've got an in-law who drives me crazy, but that's my cross to bear. It's like, that's not what Jesus is talking about, okay? Like, yes, life, there's difficulties that come, and there's different. That's not, when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's not talking about that. That's not what he's describing. He's talking about the suffering up to and including death that could come your way because of your decision to follow him. He's talking about the persecution you're gonna face for taking a stand for Christ. That's the cross that Jesus says you need to be willing, not not just to pick up once, but to pick up every single day. You pick that up as his follower and say, I'm willing. Whatever, Whatever it costs me to follow you today, Lord, I'm willing to pick it up and carry it. That's what Jesus is saying. So he says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a decision to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. To speak the way that Jesus spoke, to live like he lived. That's what it means to follow him. The word that's used there to follow, Pastor Jeff and I were talking about this yesterday. It means to literally come and stand behind me. When you say I'm a follower of Jesus, that's what you are. You're someone who's standing behind him. And that there's a saying like the idea of walking so close to the rabbi that the dust of the rabbi is following on you, is falling on you. How close are you to Jesus? Are you close enough for his dust to be falling on you? That's what Jesus says. Follow me. Walk like I walk. Live like I live. Talk like I talked. Serve like I served. Love like I love. That's what Jesus is calling his disciples to do. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So Jesus, he's correcting their understanding here, right, of what it means for him to be the Messiah, and he's correcting their understanding of what it means for them to be his followers. But now, in verses 24 to 26, Jesus explains to them that no matter what it costs, no matter what it costs, it is worth it. That's the point of verses 24 to 26. You could actually write that in the Bible. It's worth it. It's worth it. That's, it is worth it. Or you could Conjunction, it's worth it. Three words, it's worth it. Verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. In these three verses, Jesus gives his disciples three reasons why it's worth denying yourself, why it's worth taking up your cross daily, why it's worth following him. And I want you to notice that each of these verses, 24, 25, and 26, all begin with the word for. 
it's, it's almost as if, I, I just, I picture Jesus, he's just said, you're gonna take up your cross daily and follow me. And he's just told them that he's gonna suffer and die and their faces are like, what? They're shell-shocked. He can see the why questions forming in their brains and their eyes and all over their faces. Why? Why, Jesus? Why do you need to die? And why do we need to die with you? Why? And Jesus says, because, because, because it's worth it. It's worth it. First, because whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus says, listen, the way to save your life is not through holding on to it. That's not how you're gonna save your life. It's through surrendering your life to me. That's what Jesus says. You wanna gain your life? Surrender your life to me. You'll get, Jesus talks about, you, you don't only like eternal life, you get life abundant right now right now. Second, because what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? In Mark's gospel, it's stated this way. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Mark 8, 36 and 37. Now, it's a rhetorical question, but it's meant to drive home the, the, the point that the most valuable thing in the world is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, even, listen, even if it were possible to gain everything that the world says it's valuable, even if that were possible, you, you, let's say you could go out right now and just snap your fingers and get fame, riches, friends, every possession you could possibly desire the, the best foods, the best cars, the best homes. If you could get everything that you think your heart desires, it wouldn't be worth it if it cost you your soul. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus illustrates this point really well in, in the parable of the hidden treasure in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 13. You can summarize that parable in this, this sentence. There's nothing more valuable than being in God's kingdom. And being in God's kingdom is worth giving up everything for. There's nothing more valuable than being in God's kingdom and, giving, and being in God's kingdom is worth giving up everything for. That's the parable of the treasure and, and the pearl, Matthew 13. And third, Jesus says in verse 26 that because whoever's ashamed of me and my words, of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. This is a warning. Those who are ashamed of Jesus and his words, those who, who reject being identified with Jesus in his message will be rejected by Jesus when he returns in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You see, rather than be ashamed of Jesus, rather than be ashamed of his words and, and his message, his followers confess Jesus. They confess him. They confess his words. I love, I love what Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16. He says, 
for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says, for because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes is what he says there. Amazing. I'm not ashamed. True followers of Jesus aren't ashamed of Jesus. They confess Jesus. Well, after he gives his disciples these three reasons why denying yourself and taking up your cross daily and following him is worth it, in verse 27, Jesus says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Some of you are like, I can't wait till he gets to this verse today. <laughs> ah, what is Chris going to say about that? <laughs> Jesus has already given his disciples a lot to consider, right? Again, put yourself in their shoes. You don't know the rest of the story yet, right? So they're learning a lot. They're learning about what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, that he's going to suffer, he's going to die. He's learning, they're learning that they, as his followers, are going to have to embrace suffering, to take up their cross, and to follow in his footsteps. I imagine that the disciples were probably sitting there a bit stunned at this point, right? This is not what they had expected. When, they, when Jesus said, come and follow me, leave your nets, that's not what they thought they were signing up for, maybe. You know, they weren't, this, what, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? And so Jesus wraps up this dialogue with, uh, with some encouragement. This is encouraging news. This is, this is good news. He says, listen, guys, I know I've been talking a lot about rejection. I've been talking a lot about suffering and crosses and death. But I want you to know that, listen, there are some of you there are some of you who are standing here right now who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Ooh. Some of you are going to see God's kingdom even before you die. Wow. That's cool. That's exciting. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? Well, let, let me say this. Okay. That is a source of much debate amongst, amongst people far smarter than me, okay? Um, Bible scholars and teachers debate about what, what's he referring to there? Is he talking about the Mount of Transfiguration? Is he talking about his resurrection? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost? What's he talking about here? And we're gonna talk a little bit about that next week. So... <laughs> So you, gotta, you have to come back next week. We're, we're going to talk about that a little bit. I, I, spoiler alert, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have my guesses, and I'll, I'll share with you where I land, but I'll, I'll share with you the, the different positions, and then I'll, I'll tell you where I, where I land. But I'm not saying I'm right. I'll just say that right now. But for this morning, let, let me just close with this. The question that Jesus is asking his disciples here, who do you say that I am? It's the most important question that any of us will ever answer. Who is Jesus? It's actually the question that, that John, the apostle, the one who is very close, one of Jesus' closest disciples, 
It's the question that John set out to answer when he wrote his book, the, the Gospel of John. Near the very end of John's Gospel, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, this is what John says. John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the what? The Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And that by believing that, you may have life in his name. John said, I, I wrote this all down so that you would know that Jesus is the Messiah and that by knowing that, you would have life, life now and life for all eternity. And so I don't, I, listen, I don't, I don't know where you stand. I know that many of you I know you personally, I've heard your stories. I know that many of you have already confessed that. You say, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You believe it. Some of you might be here today and you don't know that. So I'm gonna go back to my challenge before. Read John's gospel. He wrote it so that you would know. So go read it and with an honest heart. Say, Jesus, if you really are the son of God, would you make yourself known to me? I believe he will. I believe he will. But listen, if you're sitting here this morning, and maybe, maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe, you've, maybe right now, as we've been looking at Jesus's words here in Luke, you're saying, you know what? I do believe. I do believe. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that he's the son of God. I believe that he's the one who, who came to earth and he died for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe it. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to. If that's you, if that is you, I want to invite you to make that decision right now. Make the decision right now. Talk to God. Tell him. Tell him, I believe. I confess my sins. I recognize that I, I need a savior. And I believe you sent that savior, your son, Jesus, the Messiah, who lived a perfect life, he died on the cross for my sins, he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and he is going to return. And when he returns, he's gonna be coming as that conquering king that the disciples were looking for. Make that decision to today, today. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. It is the most important decision that you will ever make. And if you need to talk with someone about it, you need to, maybe you have questions and you're just, I'm not, I'm not quite there. That's fine. Come and talk with me. Talk to God first, but yeah, come talk with me. Talk with one of the other elders here or talk to somebody that's sitting next to you who you know believes that Jesus is the Messiah and say, I have questions. Will you pray with me? We're here for you because this is the most important decision that you will ever make. Make it today. And if you're not ready to make it today, then at least take up the homework assignment, right? Pray, read John's gospel, and answer that question for yourself. One way or the other, you're either gonna reject him or you're gonna accept him, one or the other. Do it in Jesus' name.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the words that you spoke through your son Jesus to the disciples. I know it wasn't easy for them to hear. They, they didn't see it coming. <laughs> Reminds me, Lord, that so many of us, we think we have your second coming all figured out too. <laughs> we surrender that to you right now and just recognize that what we do know is you said you'd come. We may not have all the details figured out, but we know that you're coming. And when you come, you're coming as a conquering king. And Jesus, I pray that if there's anybody here today who does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they would cry out to you and surrender their lives to your son, Jesus. Let today be a day of salvation for them. And God, I pray that for those of us who do know you, that, that we would be reminded through your words that, that we are to be living our lives, denying ourselves, being willing to take up whatever suffering that might come our way as a result of following you, that we should embrace it, recognizing that we aren't living for ourselves. We're living for you. We're not living for this world. We're living for a kingdom where you are the king. God, work in and through us. And, and, and Lord, again, we just pray for the many, many lives who have been devastated in this past week. These are dark, dark hours. But we recognize that, Jesus, you are the light of the world. And there is hope found through a relationship with you. And you've sent us out to be a light in that world. So God, help us to shine bright. In Jesus' name, amen.